Is it safe to visit the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when the coronavirus is out there? Is it safe to send your kids to summer camp? We're going to be talking about the relative risk of summer activities on this episode of This Week in the CLE, the news podcast from Cleveland.com. I'm Chris Quinn, editor at Cleveland.com, and I'm with my colleagues, Chris Warnowski, Laura Johnston, and Jane Cahoon. And it's Friday. Everybody happy? Yeah. Happy Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Good morning. Hail Zenu. Uh, if the governor is listening, it's a, it's a great day. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, let's let's get to it. Is visiting the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame more risky for getting the coronavirus than sending your child to summer camp? Laura Johnston, you saw somebody else had done a story looking at general activities and had the idea that we could localize this with some looks at some of the things that are specific to Cleveland. So what did we find? What is generally low risk and what carries more risk? I imagine sending your kids to summer camp pretty high on the risk scale. It is one of the higher risk things that you can do along with, you know, going to a wedding that is not socially distanced or uh, sitting at a bar. Um, The lower risk things are surprisingly going to the rock hall or the art museum. I thought, you know, those are indoors. Those might be a little more dangerous, but because they're so big and you can spread out, those are actually pretty safe. Beaches are surprisingly safe. Shopping malls, not so much. There's a caveat here in that anything can be unsafe if there are too many people who are not wearing masks and there's somebody there that's sick. But these are general ideas. We talked to six experts from health systems across Ohio to get a good idea of what you should be worried about. I saw a, a cool story out of, I think it was France this morning, where they have wide beaches. And what they've done is they've roped off squares with literally with ropes that are like three feet off the ground and each each family or person goes into the center of a square and then they have automatic social distance on the beach seemed like a good way to to help people not crowd each other and not rely on people's goodwill not to crowd each other uh and maybe we'll we'll see some of that in places uh, around here where people get together the um the idea of going to the art museums, I don't think that scares a lot of people, right? You put on your mask, you're going to be able to easily keep distance. I still don't see any way that sending a kid to summer camp is safe. They're going to mix with other children. They're going to come home. The likelihood is that will spread the virus, right? The thing is about summer camp is that they are limiting the groups to nine or less. They're going to try to be outside a lot. They're going to try to not mix share crayons or something. So they're going to try. But the issue is you could say, okay, that's unsafe. You shouldn't be doing it. But we're also talking about school in three months. You're going to have the same issue. So maybe summer camp is kind of like a little trial run for how this could work in schools, even if you're not sitting at a desk because you still got kids mixing together and you're trying to figure out if they're really going to wear a mask during the day. I, I don't think they are. I just, I cannot see it. Well, let's face it. The alternative, it's summer. Kids are going to go outside. And if there's not programmed activities, they're going to hang around with other kids. And there's just no stopping kids from hanging around with other kids unless you lock them up. And and, you've uh, you've got people heading back to work. And so daycares are opening again. And, And so I think this is the idea that we're making it as safe as possible to kind of regain somewhat of normalcy. Did anything surprise you in the list of things we put together? I thought riding a ferry would be 
pretty safe because you're outside. You got the wind whipping around. But, you know, there are indoor parts of a ferry because we talked about going to the islands. Um, so it depends where you stand. And like like I said before, anything can be unsafe. So uh, choose your spot wisely, spread out. And, um, yeah, but they said beaches were pretty safe, which, you know, you see the pic- pictures. You saw Florida. You saw Lake, so the, Lake of the Ozarks. You're like, that is not safe to be that crowded, but I was at Huntington Beach on Monday, and I felt like it was getting pretty crowded, but people were definitely trying to give each other some space. Like, nobody was right on top of each other. So. Although our columnist, Layla Tassi, who returns to our fold from her maternity leave Monday, was at Huntington Beach probably a day after you were, and sent me some pictures showing that it was anything but safe. People were crowding around, and it was giving her the... Uh, willies so again it, it depends on the setting but you may go to some place like that and have to turn around and leave if you're trying to preserve your uh, your safety from the coronavirus it's this week in the cle is the coronavirus ban on me visiting relatives in ohio nursing homes coming to an end jane cahoon mike dewine didn't quite get there in his latest briefing but but he did offer some hope that eventually we might get there. What's changed in Ohio? What's changing? Well, they're taking a step here. They're going to start out small and see how this works out by allowing limited visits outdoors at assisted living homes and intermediate care facilities for developmentally disabled people. And that starts June 8th. There's there's going to be restrictions social distancing, temperature screening for visitors and residents, wearing masks and and limiting it to certain hours. And and the individual facilities are going to have to figure out, you know, how to handle these outdoor visits. Is the thinking that the people who are in assisted care facilities are in better shape than those in nursing homes? So for them to get outside and, and sit with their families is not as challenging as it would be for somebody who's more infirm and, and can't live in an assisted care facility? That that would seem to be the case. It's yeah, it'd be a lot easier to to have them come outside as opposed to somebody who's who's really, as you said, infirm. The the taking of temperatures, I mean, I know that's going to be ubiquitous or already is. I had it happen the first time yesterday. I got a haircut and it it, it is a little bit <laughs> odd. They, <laughs> they come at you with the little laser gun. I know. I had that too at the salon, 98.1. Uh, that was 97.6, but I'm a cold-hearted <laughs> bastard. I didn't want to know how you guys got appointments. I'm still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, they're, they're backed up pretty badly. I just, It's just it's something we're going to get used to. And literally less than three months ago, we talked about how America might not stand for such a thing. So- Going to nursing homes, you're going to have to do it, and so many other activities. Um, you know, when it, Cleveland eventually opens its rec centers, I bet you they do the the same thing. Um, did Mike DeWine say that if this works pretty well, that he would then look at nursing homes? So many people are desperate to get into them. There's petitions being circulated by people now saying, "I want to see my mom. I want to see my grandmother." let me in to visit them, that the mental health damage you're doing is more serious than the physical health. Did he, did he give any hope there that, yeah, we'll get there? Yeah, he did. He, he really tried to be empathetic. He said he knows how much anguish this is causing. And he gave a pretty clear signal that they're going to monitor this and see how it works. And they, they just don't want to rush into anything because 
nursing homes, as you know, are a real hotspot for coronavirus, and they they just don't want to make any mistakes. But he's he's heading that direction. What's interesting about what Mike DeWine has done, and somebody will write a book about this someday, is you know they locked everything down up front because we weren't ready to deal with anything. Right? Nobody had masks. Nobody knew what they were doing. And 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 then came back and slowly reopened the state, established rules, told people how to govern themselves. And basically said, you know, now it's up to you. And a lot of people might be self-selecting to get sick. But there's certain areas where he's still keeping the brakes on because it seems like he feels a responsibility to to preserve health. And, you know, nursing homes where 70 percent of the deaths have been seem like one of the places that he's still very concerned about. Correct. And the the big sports venues and so forth, the, the mass gatherings, that's I think he's really concerned about all of that. There's been a lot of method uh, in in this madness. <laughs> You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Why is the Cleveland Clinic excited about stem cells as a way to deal with severe lung distress in coronavirus patients? Chris, this is complicated, so I'm going straight to you. Chris Vernaski, what's it about? So the clinic is one of 15 hospital systems across the United States that is testing this uh, this stem cell treatment for patients who develop what is known as acute respiratory distress syndrome or ARDS um, as a result of the coronavirus. Uh, the treatment uses cells that are taken from, from tissue like a healthy adult bone marrow. And those cells kind of have the, the capacity to sort of renew themselves and develop into different types of cells. And those cells have anti-inflammatory properties. So the researchers are hopeful that it could help reduce the lung inflammation that happens very rapidly when some people contract the coronavirus. So our bodies kind of respond to a virus, you know, by trying to fight them off. And, and that's what causes all that inflammation in the lungs. And that inflammation can, can escalate to ARDS. And if, if, if that happens, it causes the lungs to fill with fluids. And that's why, you know, throughout this whole process, you've heard a lot of people talking about ventilators. The reason that coronavirus patients usually get put on a ventilator is because they developed ARDS. And so the, the, the ventilators sort of assist them with their breathing until they can get more care. And, and, and when that, when that swelling of the lungs goes down, then that's when they sort of know that, you know, people are coming out of it and the stem cells, what they're hoping is that it will reduce the inflammation and, and sort of keep people from having to be put on ventilators or at least minimize the risk of, of the ARDS. Because from my understanding, when you get that, it, it, it can go south pretty quickly. And, and so, you know, they're, they're basically saying, you know, we want, we want to see if this speeds up the process and they've seen some, some glimmers of hope with it. But, you know, we talked on the podcast earlier this week about how rapidly the science is moving this sounds like something that's going to take some time to to be sure about. This isn't something that's in the immediate future. This is a very simple set of tests they're going to do and then come back with some studies on it, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, it's like everything, you know, I mean, we're, you know, I mean, some people are working on vaccination. Some people, are, I mean, it's it, this is being fought at so many different levels that this is just this is just one one experimental treatment to 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 deal with one facet of you know one symptom of the coronavirus and 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 so 
you know, it, it, it will take time. I mean, I think there's a reason why there are 15 hospital systems that are involved in this because, you know, uh, they're going to have a, they're going to have the ability to, to, tr- to use it in multiple patients. I don't know that there's much downside into tr- trying to treat people with this. My, my guess is that, you know, getting the, the, the cells themselves might be tricky, but you know, we'll see. I, you know, okay. there's, there's some hope and, you know, this is, this kind of treatment has been used in, in, in other things. And, and so it, if it, if it does, I mean, this, this has the ability to save a lot of people and, 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 and really sort of the key thing I think is, is that it would help. They're hoping that it will help limit the amount of damage that is done to people's lungs, you know, people who survive, you know, they, uh, you know, so far we've seen people come out of it with like a, a lot of extensive damage to their lungs okay. that will be permanent. So, you know, if they can head that off, I think that's what they're looking for. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. How easy is it to get a coronavirus test now in Northeast Ohio? Uh, the governor is is easing up restrictions on this, but then there's the places to go. Laura Johnston, there's some new developments on that. Yes. Yeah, so it's as easy as a drive through at CVS. You do have to register online for an appointment. There's 34 CVS locations that will do that. And you have to meet the criteria set by the CDC as well as state and age guidelines, which, like you said, changed yesterday. If you have insurance, it shouldn't cost you anything out of pocket. These Those regulations are a little stricter than Rite Aid, which a couple weeks ago decided to offer free tests at 71 drive-up locations. And you, you self-swab for these um, when you make your appointment. So you need to be 18 years old, have your ID, but um, Ohio is making it easier because yesterday they announced that no longer was it as strict. And now people, there's a fourth tier that people uh, who don't meet any other criteria can now get tested. Well, what, but they still have to have symptoms or something, right? It's not yeah, just, the, I, I wonder <laughs> if I have it, even though I'm fine, test me. Well, that and that's what I kind of wonder about the Rite Aid one, like how they decide how you're going to get it, since we still have a you know limited number of tests. But for the priority one in the state, that's people with symptoms who are hospitalized or worth work in healthcare. Priority two is residents. But if, of- but if you're tier one, you're hospitalized. You're not going to see the. Uh- <laughs> that's true. That's true. You. Um, well, prior- but, but let me ask you this. So, so for just regular people, like yeah. you, you know, you you want to go visit your mom. You don't want to make your mom sick. Are, are are you covered yet? Can you just go that, get a test? That is priority four. And it says that testing has to be available to other people first, but then people who have symptoms and don't meet any of the other categories can be tested. But Rite Aid is saying you don't need, you don't need symptoms to go get tested there. So I, I'm not sure how those all jive together. Okay. I, but, but there is a legitimate concern. If people want to go visit somebody who's vulnerable They'd like to know if they they can transmit it accidentally. My son is a physical therapist in a nursing home. He's being tested every two weeks to make sure he's not transmitting it. It sounds like there is some chance now. There hasn't been before, but there is some chance for you to be able to do that. Yes, yes. And I think as we keep going, it'll get easier and easier as tests are more available and more people have been tested. And obviously, they're they're doing those antibody tests too, so that should give us a better idea of who's had it already. Okay. It's this week in the CLE. Do I have to take my car to e-check during the coronavirus pandemic? For a while, Jane, the answer had been no, but now? (laughs) Well, 
you don't have to take it um, there, but you can now because they have reopened this week. This is this is one reopening that people aren't so thrilled about. Uh, they, they're taking social distancing measures and, and other precautions like employees are wearing masks and gloves and face shields. Um, or you can use the self-serve kiosk if you don't want to be near anybody. But what they've done is is anybody whose car was due for an e-check from February through July gets a six-month extension on, on having to go get the test. But you still have to get it. So it it gets a little but, confusing here. But here's um, the deal. But here's the deal. I only get a check because I want to get my license renewed, right? You they won't you can't get your tags renewed unless you do e check. But they waive that for these past months. So people right. who were due have their tags renewed. Right. What you know, what <laughs> why would so, I go to e check now? Well, okay, I did the same thing. I I renewed mine this week for a car that was due for an e-check and it did not, you know, it went through fine. But uh, supposedly I still have to get that car tested in six months. However, it's not likely that they're going to come after me. Um, but, but But it is likely the next time I renew it, which I only did a year. So the next time I renew it, they are going to catch me and say, You've you've got to do this now for people who do it like for a multi-year renewal, they probably will receive notices telling them they have to go do it. Now, how are they going to enforce that? You know, I I have no idea, and I'm not sure that they exactly know how they're going to force people to do all this. But the bottom line is that this ritual that everybody hates is not going away. You still have to do it. Well, let me throw this wrinkle into it, though, because we have had a campaign to make it go away that environmentalists have been critical of because it does keep the air clean. But the air is a lot cleaner the last two months because people aren't commuting. There's a belief that the work from home movement is will grow, that there'll be a permanent growth of it. If if we have, you know, 70 percent of the commuting that we had before post pandemic, does does that give credibility to the argument that we shouldn't have e-check anymore? So if I have the six-month moratorium and I wait it out, maybe it'll go away. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that's out of the question. I mean, but they would have to to test and, and make sure we met these pollution standards. That's what it's all based on. Okay. I, I mean, I, when this first came up, I had just done it. it you know, and e-check has become pretty easy thing to do it's not there's no lines you go in you go out but there does seem to be some vigor in the argument that it's time for it to go away and this work from home movement may drive it home i just if i if i were you and i had my my registration (laughs) renewed i wouldn't be going to e-check i'd wait till i have to (laughs) renew it next year (laughs) but that's just me i'm not i'm not commenting on what my plans are (laughs) this week in the cle is the private federal prison in Youngstown being forced to take the same steps to protect inmates as the government-run federal prison in Elkton, Ohio? We all know how bad it is at Elkton. Nine inmates have died. It's a battle between the Bureau of Prisons and a Cleveland judge that went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Usually, you would think conditions in a private prison might be worse. But, Chris Wernowski, this kind of turns that on its head. Well, maybe. Um, A a federal judge said that the staff at the Northeast Ohio Correction Center in Youngstown is doing enough to prevent the spread of the coronavirus among inmates, kind of 
rebutting an opinion from a doctor who said that the conditions there uh, could lead to a significant outbreak. Um, U.S. District Judge Sol- Solomon Oliver wrote Wednesday that he would not order the staff at at the you know the private facility uh, to take more drastic measures outside of what they're already doing. Um, Twelve staff members there have tested positive for the virus, but no inmates and. The prison is owned and operated by CoreCivic, which is one of the largest, maybe the largest private prison uh, company in the United States. And the people that are held there are usually in the custody of the U.S. Marshal Service. Um, and there's another wing of the of the prison where the state uh, contracts to to hold inmates that don't go in other other facilities. Um, CoreCivic has said the whole time that they have been following the the CDC. Uh, guidelines to keep inmates and staff safe at the prison. What is what is kind of up in the air, and what nobody has really said, or you know, and what what what? Well, people have said it, but it hasn't really been looked into, and we, we're not really sure how we look into this yet. But some of the attorneys have said that no inmates have tested positive because the prison has not conducted enough tests, and you know, that many who carry the virus might not be showing symptoms. So while the prison has not seen an outbreak, thousands of inmates in other jails and prisons and states have tested positive. So, you know, it's, 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 So we don't know how many people actually have been tested there. No. And so that's, you know, that's the sort of, you know, that that's what sort of raised, you know, my skepticism a little bit about this, you know, when I was reading it yesterday and it's like, well, Okay, but have they said if they're testing? And so, you know, I I think we're going to poke around at this a little more and and see if we can get an answer on that because right. it's it, it just it's you know twelve staff members, but no, but no prisoners. Like, are, I, they, it, are these sentenced people? Or are these people awaiting trial, or is it a mixture of both? I think it's a mixture of both. I would have to double check. I to be honest, I I'm I'm not sure right now um, okay for some reason i thought some of the immigration people that were awaiting determinations were there but unlike El- elkton where you know the battle is raging yeah. is sentenced people okay mm-hmm. this week in the cle i know the state fair was canceled by the coronavirus but are county fairs canceled by the coronavirus laura johnson it seems odd that we might have a different standard here because they're kind of the same thing what's the answer they are not canceled. Uh, Governor Mike DeWine really, really wants counties to host junior fairs where kids can show their cows and pigs and goats or their artistic skills. And he wants local fair boards to make this happen, working with the local boards of health. Uh, there's 94 county and independent fairs in the state, and he's really looking to them to make a decision. I talked to the head of the Cuyahoga Fair who said that junior fairs cost about 30000 to 200000 to put on for a week. That includes all sorts of activities they put on. Um, they don't charge the kids to do the, the junior fair. And that cost is offset by the rest of the fair, the concessions, the rides, the grandstand events. Those things are not going to be allowed. The rides, the grandstand, concessions would still be possible following restaurant rules. So the fair was actually going to meet uh, last night. We'll find out today, I think, what they decided. Uh, there's about 3,000 kids in Cuyahoga County that are involved in 4-H, and they'd like to do something for them. I was so, I was surprised so, by how big it was. All right. So when I think of the county fair, it's not really that. It, this is just one part of the county fair. Like the, the, the Joga County Fair is, you know, probably the most famous in the region. 
Right. Uh, it's always whatever it is, Labor Day weekend. And and it's still on, it was the word yesterday, but not really, right? Because if you can't have all of the amusement stuff, it's not the same fair. It's not. But the heart of the fair, in Mike DeWine's opinion, is these kids who have been working for literally a year to raise these livestock or, uh, you know, to plant whatever and to grow it. He wants them to be able to have this experience that he feels it's very integral for a lot of counties in Ohio. I mean, there's a a huge swath of Ohio that's rural, and this is a really big deal there. And he wants them, the kids, to be able to have the experience. So that's what, and and they get money from the state. So he's hoping that's enough for them to make it happen. Okay. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What's up with Governor Mike DeWine cutting way back on his Wine with DeWine daily briefings on the coronavirus? It's kind of snuck up on us. Originally, he was doing his briefings seven days a week. They usually went an hour and a half. So it was a lot of time of the governor talking about the coronavirus and answering questions. But uh, Jane Cahoon, not so much now, right? Yeah, it's hard to believe they they were they started off as seven days a week, isn't it? I mean, but. Uh, Lately, you know, we've seen, as, as you said, that they're, they're not only less frequent, but shorter. The last few have been only an hour instead of an hour and a half. And, you know, they, they were sort of five days a week for a while. And then the last couple of weeks, we've seen them be like two days a week. This, this week we only had, we only had them on Tuesday and Thursday. So, We've gone from this, you know, when, when everybody was stuck at home and they would sit in front of their TV set and, and DeWine and Dr. Amy Acton and Lieutenant Governor John Houston would, you know, walk them through the various restrictions and, and give them pep talks and, and, uh, videos and so forth. And now it's just, um, you know, it's, it's a different ballgame. I guess the governor just simply doesn't have, enough news to announce anymore now that everything's well, <laughs> you know look you could look at this two ways one you could look at it what you just said when this thing was its most urgent and anxiety was highest mike dewine stood in front of people day after day this this face of calm explaining everything when reporters asked him questions he actually answered them in earnest as did the health director or lieutenant governor john houston and now that need, we, you know, we know what the rules are. The anxiety is lessened. We're getting used to what the the new age is. You can also argue that <laughs> I know what's coming here. He doesn't want to answer the hard questions anymore. I mean, uh, we've been talking for three weeks or so about how this thing is degenerated into reporters ask him a question. He doesn't answer the question. He goes off on a tangent completely unrelated to the question, says, I'll get back to you and never does. That that he's cutting it off because he doesn't want to emphasize how they're not answering the questions. I mean, they don't want to be asked about what's wrong with the unemployment system anymore because they can't fix it. It's a disaster. It's been a disaster from the beginning. Uh, you know, the legislature grilled them this week on it too. Right. Uh, so I'm a I'm, I'm a little it's a it, I'm a bit conflicted here because we're. I, I mean, I have found them less useful. I I imagine yeah. you have too. For the past two, three weeks, because they, other than a couple of announcements, they don't answer any questions and, and they bring on visitors to go on and on about stuff no one cares right. about. So, you know, and then they play goofy music. So <laughs> I, I think the journalists uh, who attend these briefings have the same mixed feelings. I mean, they love the opportunity to be able to 
have the time with the governor and the other officials to question them, but it's been pretty unsatisfying lately. And so nobody wants to really waste their time when they're not getting their questions answered. Yeah. I don't know whether I'm upset about this or happy about it. You know, you don't like wasting your time and you don't, you know, I mean, and they could very easily come out in a matter of five minutes saying, okay, we're going to open assisted living centers. The date's going to be here. We'll watch it. And if it works out, we'll do nursing homes. Boom. We're, we're moving on. Uh, If he's not getting news out of it, you know, like you said, the the visitation thing that happened yesterday with the with the uh, assisted living and all that. So there is still news. Well, and I don't I don't think we did a story out of this yesterday, but we did. Laura Hancock, I believe Laura Hancock asked the question we talked about regarding sewage. Yale had done the study that said, actually, this does work. It's something we talked about three weeks ago. It gives you a real time measure of how the coronavirus is spreading instead of the lag time you get with tests, we asked the question and he actually answered it. So, you know, I guess. Yeah, but, I, that, you know, I think we've talked about this before, too. They, they've they had technical glitches in, in their broadcast. And when Laura Hancock asked the question, he couldn't really understand or he couldn't hear. He was getting an echo. And so even though he answered the question and we got something like, yeah, we want to do this, we got no details about, well, what's the urgency here? What's the plan? So so we're going to have to ask more questions about that outside Actually, of the Actually, it's kind of shocking. I mean, we talked about this more than three weeks ago, you know, because Wales was doing it and mm-hmm. and really seeing trends. It's kind of shocking we're not doing it. I mean, we're, especially- I know. Where's the urgency here? This is like supposed to be a leading indicator of, uh, of the coronavirus cases. I mean, the Yale study correlated the, the numbers of cases and the numbers of hospitalizations to, to the testing of the sewage. Right. It's definitive. It works. I mean, it was one of those slap your forehead ideas like, Hey, why didn't we think of this? This is a brilliant way of checking to see where it is, especially when you can't test. But um, I'm, I'm still a little bit surprised at the lack of urgency, but maybe there is urgency and they're just not on top of it and talking about it which is part of the problem of the briefings. You're listening (laughs) to This Week in the CLE. Well, we're going to have to stop it there. We have a couple more questions, I think, to go to, but we're done. I, uh, I hope you all have a good weekend. So thanks, Laura. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Chris. Thanks to everybody who's been listening to This Week in the CLE. We will return on Monday.